we want to we want to turn our attention now to the Word of God, and uh, I don't believe in uh, in ignoring the elephant in the room. <laughs> Uh, I believe that does more damage than it does uh, good. Uh, and so uh, I'd like for us this morning to take our scripture reading. Uh, I'm going to take it in two parts out of the book of Matthew. The first place I'm going to take it is going to be in the fifth chapter uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and I'm going to start in the 13th verse of the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Wherefore shall it be salt? Wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father that is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, until, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle in no, shall in no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men, and shall teach so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But, whoso, who, but whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And there rememberest that thy brother hath, hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. And I want to stop right there. I want to stop right there. At the 24th verse. And I'd like to go over now to the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew. And, and I would like to read in the 15th verse. It says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. 
And, uh, and that is, that is uh, in the 18th chapter of the 15th verse. That's, that's the first step that is outlined in the book of Matthew for uh, church discipline. And, uh, and so uh, what I would like for us to take as a, as a topic for this morning, or a, or, a, or a thought this morning, is reconciliation with man and God. Reconciliation with man and God. Now, there's a lot of things that we can point out, and if we go back over into the fifth chapter of Matthew and we look here, um, now there's a, there's a lot of ground that got covered, so I'm going to actually start on the back half of what we read, and, and then I'm going to try to, to weave in uh, the first part of, this, uh, of, the, of what we read here this morning uh, by the end of it, if the Lord will allow. Um, but you read here and you see, uh, starting in the, the 21st verse, Jesus is talking about one of the Ten Commandments, right? And, uh, and he says, Ye have heard it said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Now, now some people take this, and, uh, and I don't think there's anything to their, 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 their detriment on this. I actually, I actually agree with it in the premise. Um, for instance, uh, when you have a conversation with uh, uh, with uh, somebody who's Amish, right? They don't believe that you should serve in the military because they 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 take this verse of scripture and they say, "But you would kill your fellow man." That's not what in the law when the when the commandment was given, it was, "Thou shalt not commit murder," right? And and when it's talking about murder, it's talking about premeditated murder, uh, and so. Uh, here it's it's saying thou shalt not kill, uh, and and it's taken from the law, and it's the same context behind it. Uh, you, you shall not commit murder, and whosoever shall commit murder shall be in danger of the judgment. Right? That one's obvious. That's low hanging fruit. We kind we know that. We know that from studying the scriptures that God came down after Cain had murdered Abel, and and Cain uh, looked at uh, at God. I don't know if he looked at him. He told God. Uh, but he, he had this conversation with God as it's recorded, and, uh, and he says, uh, and he called, God asks Cain, he says, where's Abel, your brother? And, uh, and, and, and Cain kind of snarkily replies back to God and says, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, and, uh, and, and God tells Cain that the blood of Abel calls out to him from the ground. And, uh, and so there was no way that Cain was going to not face the, the judgment for what he had done. We know that if you commit murder, uh, that if you kill somebody, uh, that you got, that judgment is imminent. It's going to be imminent in this world. And, uh, and, and, you, and, and really a lot of that has to, is, is the punishment that you'll face, uh, from God too. But if you don't ever, uh, if you don't ever repent of the Lord of that and, and, and gain forgiveness for it, because God can forgive that sin, there's not a sin that God cannot forgive, save the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, right? Uh, and so, uh, and so that that's the one uh, that's an unforgivable sin, and the and the, that all stems from the true unforgivable sin, which is the sin of unbelief. Uh, the sin of unbelief is unforgivable. Uh, and so we see here that uh, he says this, but Jesus is going to take this a step further. He's going to take it quite a few steps further, actually. And and he's going to say that he's going to say, but I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause. 
right? We have a lot of that today, folks, in our society. In our churches, we have a lot of that today. Angry with their brother or their sister, and they've never done anything to them. And, 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 and we have this difference. That we've, we've allowed the, a, a teaching to kind of be uh, injected into society today. And that I'm going to have to do a, a good job today because Jackson's going to give me some competition. But... What we have this teaching that's been injected into society today. Don't get up and leave him. He's fine. Uh, but we have this teaching that's been injected in our society today that says that, that speech is violence. Or it says that speech hurts you, but no physical harm ever befell you. And that's where a lot of that stems from. And so... It, it, a lot of that hatred comes from a place of disagreement. Not disagreement in the big things, but really it, they're disagreements in small things. And the politics of men, I believe, is a small thing when put in comparison to God. Uh, I believe it to be a small thing. But it has become a huge thing in our society today. So he says, but whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. The same judgment that he who had killed is in danger of. Well, maybe not that severe. The next is, he says, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka. Now this was a term of derision that was used in the time of Christ. Raka is a term of derision that is used. And, and what it really means is, uh, is that they're worthless, that they've got no value, that they serve no purpose. Uh, and we, we, we have that in going on today too. And he says that if you say that, that you're in danger of the council. Now what does that mean? That means they're going to take you up and they're going to take you before the Sanhedrin and you're going to be judged by the Sanhedrin. The next one he uses is uh, is the, the one that goes even further, right? But whosoever shall say thou fool. Now, if you're going to look at somebody and say that, you, you need to understand what the consequences are. But whosoever shall say thou fool, thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, that word that's, that's translated as thou fool, what it really means is something that is a very common word in our vernacular today, stupid or empty or empty-headed. Uh, one of the definitions that's given for that word is blockhead. <laughs> and, and I was like, well, there you go. Uh, and, and you hear that, you hear, these are terms. These are pejoratives. These are, these are terms that are used a lot right now. And, and it's caused a lot of issues and divisions. Now, what happens if, uh, in the instance of this? Because this isn't murder, right? You didn't kill anybody. But you may have caused an offense. So he goes into the next verse and he says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar 
and there rememberest that thy brother has ought against thee. See, it's not that you necessarily did anything to them, but it, it's that you you have you you're, you maybe you're angry with them, maybe they're angry with you, maybe there's there's something causing a division between you and a brother, and and you come to God to bring your offering, and uh, and in the process of that, you remember uh, about you know, this brother of yours that you've had this major disagreement with. This is what happens when you have a big disagreement, isn't it? It starts going down the road one way, uh, and uh, and eventually, uh, eventually somebody starts name-calling, don't they? Somebody starts name-calling. And, and so this would be the name-caller who comes to the altar to bring his gift. Now, what what gift is he bringing? He's bringing a trespass offering. I'd like to kind of, I'd like to prove that. And uh, and I'm going to go to the book of Leviticus. And we're going to be in the book of Leviticus eh, for, for a few minutes. We're going to be in the fifth chapter, starting in the first verse. It says, And if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing, and is a witness, whether he hath seen or known it, if he do not utter it, he shall sure he shall bear his iniquity. Or if a soul touch anything, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast or a carcass of an unclean cattle, and if you want to know what that is, that, that would be like a, a horse or a donkey or something to that effect, or the carcass of an unclean creeping thing, and it be hidden from him, that he, he shall also be unclean and guilty, or he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touch the uncleanness of man, and whosoever, whosoever uncleanness it be, that a man shall be defiled withal. And, and this is talking about a, a, a dead man's body. He says, and it shall be hid from him when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty. So you see, he knows he's he's he knows he's unclean. He's supposed to separate himself until he's cleansed. But if he goes about life normally, when he while he's while he's not clean, uh, and uh, and conceals it, and uh, and instead, because if they shook hands, then that would also make the other person unclean. And uh, and so the, and he goes about it and he hides it. Uh, it says then he's guilty of that sin, right? Uh, it says, and and and, uh, and it says, and he that knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty. Or if a soul swear, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatsoever it be that a man uh, man shall pronounce with an oath, it shall be and it and it be hid from him when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty in one of these things. I want to say this. I want to say this uh, in the before we get before we go on down. If we look back over in the fifth chapter of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount in the in that twenty second verse where he says, "But if I but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say unto his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire." That doesn't mean you have to be in their presence. 
That just means that that's how, that's how you feel toward that individual. And it's going to prevent you from being able to serve and worship the Lord. It's going to cause you to be separated from God because that's sin. We all have different opinions, but that's sin. Now listen in the fifth verse here. He says, And it shall be, when he shall be guilty in one of these things, that he shall confess that he hath sinned in that thing. Now this is the Catholic dogma of confession, right? you got to go and confess your sins. I want to tell you right now, you can come and you can tell me that you have got hard feelings towards somebody, and I'll say, I, well, I'll pray for that to be remedied, but the only remedy for it is for you to go and, and talk to that person face-to-face and make it known what the offense is and, and work together to remedy that offense so that it's not an underlying thing in your conscience anymore, but we know in the day and the age that Christ would come back that men would sear their conscience and that they would have no conscience or feeling of guilt toward those things. But we know that as born-again Christians of God, that if we do something uh, that causes an offense, that we ought not be so conceited that we can't acknowledge the offense and that we don't go and try to remedy the offense to make sure, to make sure that the offended party is satisfied before we we continue with the process of offering the trespass offering. That's what you have to do. And it shall be when he shall be guilty, and I'm in verse 5 of the 5th chapter of Leviticus, and it shall be when he shall be guilty in one of these things that he shall confess that he hath sinned in that thing. Then, after he's confessed, right? After he's done the confessing. And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord for the sin which he hath sinned. A female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his sin. And so that is the, that is, that is the trespass offering. Now I want to move on. I want to look in the sixth chapter because it's going to it's going to talk about it a little more in the sixth chapter, uh, and and so in the, and I'm going to look. I'm not going to go with the whole whole thing here. Um, actually, let's just start in the first. Uh, and and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord, now that's the thing. Now if we remember back to David. Right, if we recall David, when David sinned, when he sent for Bathsheba and had Bathsheba brought to him, and because he lusted after her, and then he committed adultery with her, and then he tried to get Uriah the Hittite to get drunk and go down uh, to his wife so it would conceal the fact that she was pregnant and it was David's uh, kid, uh, and so but 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 Uriah was more honorable than David, uh, and and he wouldn't go down, but he laid there at the door all night. Uh, And so then David had Uriah placed in the hottest part of the battle so that he'd be killed intentionally. David did all of this, didn't he? You remember what it says? I believe it's the 53rd Psalm. Maybe it's the 51st Psalm. 
51st Psalm. I think it's 51st Psalm. 51st Psalm. After Nathan the prophet, who is David's son, comes to his father and illustrates what the offense is that he's committed. Can you imagine that? Being, being your, your child coming and pointing out a sin of that caliber? That's what happened. Nathan the prophet, if you go and you read in the genealogy, he was David's son, Solomon's brother. He was also born about of Bathsheba. And so it's not just his father, but it's father and his mother, but the, the guilt lied with his father. In the fourth verse of the 51st Psalm, against thee and thee only have I sinned. We don't look at sin that way, do we, anymore? We don't look at it as uh, I've done something to someone and I've sinned against that person, but we don't look at it from the standpoint that we've sinned against God. But we have. We've sinned against God. If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord. Now, how can you say that? Because he died for our sins, didn't he? He died for all of our sins. So if we continue to sin afterward, it's not against, it may be against an individual, but we've definitely sinned against the Lord. And lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered to him to keep or in fellowship or in a thing being taken away by violence and hath deceived his neighbor and hath found that which was lost and lieth concerning it and sweareth falsely. In In any of these that a man doeth sinning therein, there shall be... Then, then it shall be because he hath sinned and is guilty that he shall restore that which he took violently away. Restitution is an admission of guilt. In, in other words, you had to re, you had to you had to make that the, the, that person whole again. You had to admit you had to go through the process of admitting your guilt, admit that you're a guilt that you are guilty of the sin. Uh, and then go through the process of being saved. Now I want to move on down. It says, and then, and then it says in the fifth verse, uh, or all that which he had sworn falsely, he shall even restore it in the principle, and shall add the fifth part more thereunto, thereto and give it to him to whom it pertaineth in the day of his trespass offering. And then he shall bring the trespass offering unto the Lord. A, a ram without blemish out of the flock with thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest. Uh, and then the law of the trespass offering. And, and so a lot of this is going to be in here, but this is all going to work toward the goal of reconciliation. You see, Jesus was telling them in the fifth chapter, uh, in the fifth chapter of Matthew, that you've got to be reconciled. Before you can have a relationship with the Lord, you've got to be reconciled with your brother. Before you can come and worship the Lord, right? You've got to, you've got to be reconciled to your brother. 
Um, this is something, this is what church discipline is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about fostering unity, and it's supposed to be about fostering uh, a kinship and a oneness uh, in the body of Christ. But uh, it's, but unfortunately, uh, through the times uh, or through the years, it's been used in other methods, and it's caused it to be viewed as uh, something that's not to be done. Because a lot of times people feel like it's just something that, yeah, find out about any little fault and flaw, any small little thing, and that gets taken before the before the, the church uh, instead of going through that process. Now, that I'm not saying that that process applies to everything because Paul teaches us very plainly in 1 Corinthians that if it's a major fault uh, and it's something that everybody knows about, then it go, then in that instance it can go straight before the church. Of course, in the in the in First Corinthians, the issue was what was the the one who had had his father's wife, and they were tolerating it. This is the law of the trespass offering. And listen to what it says. It is most holy. The law of the trespass offering, if you'll read here, is akin to the atonement offering. They, when they would make this, uh, this offering, uh, every male among the priests shall eat thereof in the sixth verse of the seventh chapter. And it says, and it shall be eaten in the holy place in the temple or in the tabernacle prior to that. And then it says it is most holy. This offering is most holy. Of course, we know who that is referring to. Jesus is the sacrifice that is the most holy sacrifice of all. Uh, he is the one who uh, came down and, uh, and died on the cross at Calvary to suffer for the sins of all mankind that we would have uh, been reconciled to God first, well, to God, obviously, but also not just to God, but to all of those who would have the blood of Christ applied to their heart by the Holy Spirit of God. Now I want to I want to look at one more thing here in the in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, a couple actually a couple more places. But I'm, I'm going to go in the 14th chapter of the of the book of Deuteronomy now, 14th chapter, and uh, and and I'm going to start here, uh, and it says. Uh, and the Lord spake to Moses, this is in the first verse of that chapter, says, And this shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall, he shall be brought unto the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp. Uh, and, the, and the priest shall look, and behold, and if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest command uh, to, to take from him uh, that which is to be cleansed, two birds alive, and clean the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop, and the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. For the living bird he shall... He shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and dip them uh, in the in the living in the living and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over running water. Then he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times. So now I, I want us to look here. I said we're going to talk about reconciliation first to man. 
The first few instances of the trespass offering uh, 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 is where uh, where man has where I, where somebody has done something to somebody else, and they've got to seek forgiveness for it. You know, we can't walk around and uh, and and harbor. Uh, ill will towards somebody and be of a clean conscience and come and worship God. We can't sit in a church building and worship God and not love everybody in that building. You can't do it. You want to know what's inhibited the church is because we've allowed things from the outside to come inside and instead of blocking those out, we've allowed those things to affect us to the point that it says... The hand doesn't need the foot. Right? We're the body of Christ. We need the whole body together. Working in one. But we've allowed these things to come in. But instead, what I have uh, encountered many times is that instead of a brother, uh, two brethren that disagree, going and and maybe sitting down over a cup of coffee and, and hashing everything out so that they can get to a place where they can fellowship together in the Lord, instead what they'll do is they'll start working within the body and, and they'll start divide. Work, working uh, in the ears of other people in the body and they'll start gaining people to their side and they'll say I don't like brother so and so and here's why and you shouldn't like him either and conversely uh, brother so and so is over here saying well, I don't like brother such and such and here's why and, and if you watch him he'll do these things and, and this is why you shouldn't like him either and before you know it the whole church is in a schism uh, and it's completely against the will of God and uh, and somebody's got to step up and say enough's enough we live in a society today that is governed by her hyperbole it's governed by hyperbole and I want to show you just with the election, uh, of that is currently going on in this country, I want to prove the hyperbole. The, dem- the Democrat side, right? They look at everybody that supports the president and with a blanket statement condemn them all as racist. Now, that's just not true. You say, well, how can they believe that? When the president has denied that he's a white supremacist ad nauseum. It's very simple, folks. It's because we have a divide in the country of where we glean our information. Most of the people on the right, we, we, we glean our information... And, and I, I mean, that's, I mean, if I have to say, I mean, that's where I'm going to fall at because that's where I've always voted. We glean most of our information from internet sources that we trust. Because we don't trust the conventional sources, the legacy sources, the sources that have existed for so long. 
And there's a reason that we don't trust them. It's because they selectively edit everything to make it appear as one thing when it's actually a lie. And you can all you have to do is go and look up the full video about the Nicholas Sandman episode and you can see it play out before your eyes. Now that's why that divide exists there. Now, on the other side, everybody on the right is engaged in a, hypo, in a hyperbolic rhetoric towards everybody on the left right now in this statement. Baby killers. Now, do I believe everybody that is going to vote for a Democrat is a baby killer? No, I don't. But now I do believe that a lot of the politicians on that side have taken a ruling, a judicial ruling, and they have taken it to a degree uh, that even the authors of that ruling never intended it to be taken to. Where you can have an abortion at any point, at any time, with no restrictions at all, and even going so far as to say, if it's born by accident, we may even have an, a, a, a making trying to make a moral argument that we can make, keep it comfortable, and then make a decision with the doctors. See, you got these two—you got these two hyperbolic forces at play in the country that we live in. And, and if I got news for you, folks. If those two brethren can't come to some sort of agreement, then um, then there's only one inevitable outcome. We've seen it play out in churches, haven't we, over the course of our lives. We have seen churches at war with each other. Folks, within the church of the living God, one of the things that's supposed to be so amazing about it is the lion lies down with the lamb. That there is a peace that is unrivaled and it defies every explanation. It's miraculous. If we don't reconcile that difference, and I'm going to be honest, I've talked about how we, how, how both of those sides view each other as an enemy. If they don't stop viewing each other as an enemy, Folks, enemies eventually end in hot conflict. It's just a fact. Nobody's advocating for it, but history proves it out time and time and time again. We've got to get beyond the rhetoric and we've got to see each other, especially in the church of God. It doesn't matter if we disagree politically. You can express your points, but if you express your points to the point where it becomes a fault, then we've got to reconcile the fault. Don't bring your gift, don't bring your sacrifice to the Lord and expect the Lord to receive it if you're not in fellowship one with another. He's going to receive it. The church is going to be dead. There's not going to be anything going on. And we're going to be left uh, standing around uh, and, uh, and just basically wasting our time. Now, that's the reconciling of our brother. It has to happen in the church. It can't, we cannot allow political rhetoric to divide the house of God. We cannot allow it. 
And as much as I may disagree with their stance on abortion, if there was somebody that I would naturally agree with and they were coming at them in a hateful manner, I would be in agreement with those uh, that I would normally disagree with. We can't, we can't be hypocrites in the house of God, folks. We have to love our brethren. We have to love them. We can try to teach them why we believe what we believe, but we have to go about it in a manner of compassion and in a manner of love. And, and so now I want us to look at this reconciling unto God, and then I'm going to try to wrap it up. And he shall sprinkle upon him, this is in the 14th chapter, this is talking about the leper. Now the leper is indicative of a sinner in the New Testament because his, uh, his injury, right, his sin is a blood injury. And while today we have methods of treating leprosy, in that day you would, there was no way of treating leprosy. And if you had leprosy, you were an outcast of society. But the priest went to the leper. And the leper would show himself to the priest. If, he'd been, if he had been healed and he no longer had the leprosy, then you would start this process. And they'd get two birds, and I'm not going to rehash all of that. I'm going to start in the seventh verse. It says, And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times, and shall pronounce him clean, and let uh, and shall let the living bird go loose into the open field. And, the, and he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all of his hair and wash himself in water that he may be clean. And after that he, after that he shall come into the camp and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. Now this is proof that you cannot be saved through water baptism. It is nothing but the precious blood of Christ which washes away our sins. And right here, uh, in the instance of this leper, we have, uh, and this is also in, in regards to the trespass offering, you have this leper uh, who is uh, indicative of a sinner in the New Testament uh, who presents himself as having been healed, having been saved. Uh, and the, what he does uh, is, uh, is the, 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 high, the priest will take the... The blood of one uh, of the one bird, uh, and he will put it on his finger, and uh, and just as it describes with the atonement sacrifice or the atonement offering, he would uh, sprinkle that on him, and, and we see him doing that in the seventh verse, where he says, "And he sprinkled him that is to be cleansed seven times." In other words, he made him completely whole. We had a conversation this morning about seven being a perfect number. He did it seven times because he's been made whole. He's been made whole. He's been reconciled to God. And the blood has been applied to him. And that blood is what washes away the sin. It's not the water. Remember, Jesus said, first cleanse the inside of the cup and then clean the outside of the cup. Then after that, then he is to go and to wash his clothes and to shave off all his hair and wash himself in water, showing himself that he is clean. That's baptism. 
That's baptism. After we get saved, we get baptized to show that we've been cleaned, that we've been made whole by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, having the blood of Christ applied to our hearts. Now, I want to I want to go back and I want to try I want to try to wrap all this up and show why it's so important for the church. Well, I started I started in the 13th verse for a reason. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? If the church is going to behave like everybody else in society, there's no point to the church. There's just no point. That's what he says. It's henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. You, you church, are expected... To be the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Your expectation is to let your light so shine before men. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. These are least commandments. These are the very basic things. And how do we do it? The Beatitudes give us the spirit in which we approach it. Blessed are the meek, or blessed are the poor in spirit, or the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall seek God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye... When men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for your for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. That's how we do it. We do it in a spirit of humility. We do it in meekness. We mourn when when we need to mourn, don't we? We seek righteousness. We hunger after we hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know that verse right there proves that the heart doesn't reside in the chest. It proves that the heart is in the bowels of a man. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. I'm going to end with this. We need reconciliation. Now, if you're here and lost, you need reconciliation with God. You need to be saved. 
That's the that's the utmost and uh, that's the utmost thing that you need to do at this present time. But for all of us that are already saved, have already been born again, have been baptized into the church, uh, and have made that that public profession of faith, which is what baptism is, is a public profession. We need to examine our churches and examine ourselves and where where hard feelings may be found. We need to repent of it. Maybe it's only to God, but it may be to somebody that you, that may be an offended party. We've got to do these things. If we want the power of God in our churches, we've got to do them. We've got to be reconciled one to another first before we can bring our gift and have it be acceptable in the sight of God. That's my message this morning. I pray that you, uh, that you get a blessing out of it. I don't believe that cowering and hiding uh, away from the, and pretending the elephant in the room doesn't exist helps us very much. Um, Brother Williams, if you've got a song ready.